Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. Here's Ken Levine. Yes, never standing down for my podcast. Watch. This is episode 48. Thank you so much for being here. And today we're going to get into a little gossip, a little celebrity dish. This is actually part one of a two-part series, my interview with Arlen Peters. Now, Arlen Peters is an entertainment reporter, and he has worked for CBS Television, CBS Radio. He's done a lot of work for the studios. You know, all of those behind-the-scenes featurettes they have on movies. Well, he's the guy who interviews a lot of the actors and stars and people like that from those films. So he's going to talk a lot about specific actors and just the art of interviewing and some horror stories along the way. And we're going to talk about Kevin Spacey, Lucy, oh, some great Lucy stories, Gene Kelly, Barbara Streisand. This guy is fearless. He asked Mariah Carey about her rehab. <laughs> Saturday Night Live's John Belushi, Dustin Hoffman, Gene Hackman. So a, a lot of really interesting stuff here in this particular episode. And then next week, we talk about Robin Williams and Meryl Streep and on and on and on. So part one, coming up, my interview with Arlen Peters right now. Hollywood and the Fine. Okay, let's dive in. So my first question is, did you ever go up to Kevin Spacey's hotel room to interview him? Not as hotel room, but I did interview him on the set of uh, of American Beauty that I that I worked on, uh-huh. and uh, he was actually very very nice and uh, kept his hands off you, uh, off of me. There were <laughs> some other things that I observed that I don't know if we want to get into here, uh-huh. but, uh, but no, no, he actually came in. He was a, a rare talent who didn't have time to do an interview with me when I was there on the on the set because he was busy in scenes and said, I'll come in on my day off and do the interview with you. And he did. He drove himself in, did it on a Saturday. They were shooting, but he did that. Great guy. Other than, you know, the thing. Yeah. A few problems. Uh Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Has there ever been a star that you were like so enamored by going in that when you had the chance to interview them, you were just like, Oh, oh, my God. I would say no, really. I think that there were certain people, George C. Scott, who was a bigger-than-life Right, yeah, he actor. did Patton and all those right. other things. Yeah. And I did an interview with him on a movie set, and this man, it, it, he was like a, a grizzly bear. So that was a little disconcerting sitting with him because he was... Not a very good interview. He just was a, a large, a looming presence, let us say. Okay. When you say someone is not a good interview, what exactly does that mean? There are people who kind of know the drill. They know from a PR standpoint when you are doing an interview with them, they're imparting information to you. And they're either they're discussing their lives, they're discussing uh, a film that they're in, and they and they know that's the drill. They they really have their thoughts kind of prepared in their mind, and they do it. That's I find the older group of actors who have been around the mm-hmm. younger generation. Oh, those millennials! Well, oh god, it's a different ball game with them. Uh-huh. Uh, they they again 
they have PR people, they have people around them, but they're really not prepared. And I see a lot of this when I see them on TV, when they're doing guest shots on one of the talk shows. They come out, first off, they, they don't look very good. Uh, they could at least be properly groomed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't look very good. And then they just don't seem to make a point. And it's kind of, uh, it's like nails on a blackboard, you know, listening to them talk. And you can tell pretty quickly when you sit down with somebody if you're going to get some material or you just want to get through it and try the best you can to get a couple of crumbs. Now, have you ever had uh, an interview where you asked a question and the celebrity goes, I'm not going to answer that. That's a stupid question. Or isn't that a little personal? Yes, and it was actually that's happened a few times, and not so names. much. The, can you give me names? Yes, I can give you. Okay, names. Uh, and not so much the personal thing, but who knows what was going on with them? The legendary Lucy. Oh, Lucy! The legendary. You interviewed Lucy about six times. Wow! And it was it was at her house. I think five of the six times were at her house which was in Beverly Hills. Right. Did she serve you Kentucky Fried Chicken for lunch like she did a friend of mine? No, no, no. <laughs> but but Lucy always had a glass in her hand, uh-huh. and she had a guy whose sole purpose it seemed was to rush and refill the glass <laughs> when Lucy raised the glass during the course of the interview. Uh-huh. He, would, he would, like the roadrunner, zip uh-huh. away, and uh-huh. he returned with fresh glass in a few of the interviews the radio interviews i did you can actually hear the tinkle of ice in the background (laughs) you could you can hear that but uh, no lucy she didn't really suffer fools well and she was again at that point god knows how many interviews she must have done so this was later in her life when she was talking like this yes the the smoky whiskey voice Uh uh-huh and the interviews would always take place after two o'clock in the afternoon because I think Lucy didn't wake <laughs> up until one thirty or right, so. Right, right. And once without her red wig, which was rather frightening. Ooh. That was frightening. Ooh. And um, uh, if she didn't like a question, she would just simply say, oh, what, what kind of question is that? Uh-huh. And then we just move on to the next question. Uh-huh. But here's a funny thing, and it shows you how times have changed. I'm sitting in her living room and doing this interview, and again, she lived at this at this time. She lived on uh, I forgot the street. I think it was Roxbury. I'm not sure. Right. But her home. I'm sure there's a guy at the corner here selling maps well, to Stars Homes, and <laughs> you can go by and find it with the improper addresses. Right. Way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, that home she was in actually had been torn down, and it's a, a new thing there. Uh-huh. But at that time, just to show you how things have changed. There was really no security. Now you have to go through layers of security to even get close to these people. So like trick-or-treaters could just like walk up to her door and ring the bell? Trick-or-treaters or or tour buses. Uh And one interview, again, it's the afternoon, maybe 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm talking to her, and all of a sudden there's this banging, banging on the door. And she has this angry look on her face, and she motions for me to turn the mic off, which I do. This was a radio interview. Sure. And her guy, who was refilling her glass, leaps up, runs to the door, and I said to her, I said... He does that, too, so he's kind of a hyphenate, right? Oh, yeah. He can can go to the door and refill glasses. Yes. Uh I I didn't want to know what else he did. I didn't want to know what else he did, but I knew (laughs) those two things. So anyhow, uh, I said to her, I said, what's that? And she said, that's the, the, the goddamn tourists, the goddamn tourists. 
And, and I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, like just any hour of the day or night, they're banging on the door. And I thought to myself, well, there's no gate. There's nothing there. Right. Anyone could walk up to the door and ring the bell. And apparently they did that any hour of the day or night. Uh-huh. Again, it just shows you how much things have changed. The strange thing was her next door neighbor was Jimmy Stewart. And his was the same. You could just walk up to the door and ring the bell. And there's wow. Jimmy Stewart. Wow. So, uh, and again, uh, the third uh, uh, example of this, on Rodeo Drive, I interviewed the legendary Gene Kelly once. Same thing. Walk up to the door, ring the bell. Gene answered the door himself. Wow. So today, people could get a selfie with Jimmy Stewart and Gene <laughs> I'm, Kelly. I'm sure he would have been thrilled with that. People knocking on the door in the middle of the night, get a selfie. Yeah. Uh, okay, did you ever interview Barbara Streisand? I actually did a number of things with Barbara. Uh, I first met Barbara, and this wasn't in an interview, but I started out working at CBS in Hollywood, a place called Columbia Square, okay. which strangely enough was just down the street from a legendary radio station you were working at. That's right, KMPC. KMPC. Mm-hmm. And in the building, Columbia Square, which really should be a broadcasting museum, there was the local CBS TV station, there was CBS radio, there was the FM local FM station in that, in that uh, building, and also Columbia Records. Which so there was like recording studios, a lot of those great Columbia albums were recorded right there? Let me just tell you, when I was delivering mail, which is how I started delivering mail, I had my mail cart, I walked in the elevator, and I heard this yelling, hold the door, hold the door. I held the elevator, and in staggered Janis Joplin. Wow. Wow. With her her wolfhound. Uh Uh-huh. And we rode up to the fifth floor was the A&R Department of Columbia Records. Uh But downstairs, they had superb recording studios, some of the best in the business. I understood there was Capitol Records, and there was Columbia Records at that time, and mm-hmm. nothing better anywhere you know, for recording. And downstairs, we used to have a food area. You know, you get sandwiches and things. Right. And I used to work late hours or whatever, and it was probably 9.30 at night during the week. And I'd go downstairs to get a drink or something out of the machine. No one in this food area except Miss Streisand. <laughs> who's standing, what year is this, by the way? What, this, what are we this, talking about? This had to be, well, I'll tell you when it was. It was right around when she was doing the Stony Ann album. So 69. Yeah, 69, 70, 70 yeah. something like that. I started yeah. at CBS in 68. Right. Okay. So anyhow, um, there she is. Wow. And she's banging on the machine because, why? Because it's she, banging on the it, machine. It did. It took her quarter it and, and uh, Barbara Streisand's quarter. <laughs> <laughs> so I, being a nice guy that I am, helped get her, uh, rescue her candy bar, whatever it was. Uh-huh. And, she, oh, thank you. And that's it. So she would be in the recording all the time. And uh, the sessions are always closed. But a lot of the recording engineers at that time, who were very, very good, had worked in radio, and I knew a lot of these guys. So I would see them, and I would sometimes just kind of walk into a booth when they were when there was a session. Kind of slip you in there, huh? Well, and there's Barbara in there, and there's a 60-piece orchestra, and she's just doing her thing. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. Wow. Private concert with Barbara. Wonderful. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, so there are any of her hits. Did you see her like record Stony End or the Stony End album? Yeah, that yeah. was that stuck in my mind. There were others, but that I mean, so many years ago now, but that right. stuck in my mind. And I just remember at one point, 
there, there must have been about eh, a dozen people in this little control room, the engineer sitting there, who I knew. And uh, she looked around and cleared the room. I thought, oh, I'll leave. No. She said, no, no, you don't have to go. So I was allowed somehow, I guess because I rescued the candy That's bar. right. You, I was you, allowed. You took that uh, thorn out of her paw. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> How was she in the recording sessions? Was uh, she nice to the musicians and everybody? Was she really tough? I I thought I always thought in in dealing with her because I dealt with her on a couple of movies after that too. I always thought she was just very highly professional, and she just wanted professionals around her. The musicians, she had great respect for them. The recording engineer, uh, fine. There were no that I saw at that point hangers on or sycophants. These are people making an album. She was making an album with professionals. So uh, would she do two takes, uh, four takes? Uh, 87 takes, was she one of those perfectionists? Uh, a perfectionist, yes. I never was actually in there that long a period of time where I can say, Ken, you know, she did 36 uh-huh. takes on that thing. I don't know. And you never, like, hit the callback button and went, Barbara, it's fine. Oh, I did that Move a number on. Of, I did that a number of times, Ken. <laughs> yeah, it's not working for me, honey. <laughs> uh, you interviewed Mariah Carey. And uh, we were talking about this before we were on the air. And my impression of Mariah Carey, great singer, but kind of a dunderhead. And you said, no, she was actually very eloquent. Yes. In fact, I I had mentioned to you before that a couple of the the music legends that I've dealt with, again, you wonder, gee, can they really put a sentence together? And I was impressed. One, and it's a whole different story, was Mick Jagger, who was very intelligent and and really uh, very interesting. Seemed like a bright guy. Yeah. Yeah. But Mariah, I kind of felt your thing, too. And this was a... a, I was not called to do an interview. Uh, She was going to do an interview... And I forgot exactly what this was. I think we were doing a lot of work with a studio she was associated with. They called us to set up, you know, equipment, a camera, so she could record this interview, and someone else was doing it. So it was the Peninsula Hotel in Mm -hmm. in, in Beverly Hills. famous Harvey Weinstein Peninsula Hotel. Well, I think every hotel is famous with Harvey. Uh, Anyhow, so um, I got there, and um, one of her people... Shortly after we were there, came over to me and said, uh, I understand you do interviews too? And I said, yeah, why? Well, we might have to have you help us out here. Well, what it was, it was an interview for Japanese television. The Japanese interview had car trouble. Something happened. He couldn't make it this interview, which was very important. Mm-hmm. Could I do the interview? And I said, well, do you have a Yes, here are his questions. I looked at the questions, and the very first question was... What about this nervous breakdown that you that you just had? <laughs> Did you spend time in a in a psychiatric hospital? And I thought, no, this has got to be a gag. No, no, this is the. I said, I, I can't do an interview like this. I mean, I need to talk to her manager or somebody. Oh yeah, they'll come out. Manager comes out. Oh, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're going to do this interview. I said, hold on a second. And I, he said, no, she's seen it. Everything's fine. I said, really, she's going to talk about this turned out that her biggest audience at that time was in Japan. And yes, she had had some problems, and she wanted to get out front of the story. 
So what she felt was the best way to do that was to have this Japanese interviewer who was known well in Japan do this interview that would then be broadcast in Japan with the words coming from her mouth. Okay. So, All right. So out she comes, you know, and thank you for doing this. It's great. I said, you're going to, yep, yep. And she sits down and very eloquently went through every one of these questions, which were really difficult questions. Did you slip something in there like, uh, um, how come you've gotten fat lately? No, I didn't do that. Didn't or do that I didn't one? ask her how the food was at the uh, psychiatric <laughs> I, Nothing like that. I thought I'd better just stick to this. Uh-huh. But she was very happy with it. How do you hold a microphone if you're in a straitjacket? <laughs> uh, she should have had that line. That was a good line, Ken. I know why you're a comedy writer. Yes. Um, no, so uh, the bottom line was we did this, and she was very eloquent, and apparently it, it worked out well for her. So, and and... And again, um, and it, it wasn't rehearsed. It was very natural, very flowing from her. And you have to have a certain level of intelligence to cover what she needed to cover in that succinct way. Now, you probably had some stars who were drugged out while you were interviewing them. Um, now, I imagine like John Belushi, one of the original cast members of Saturday Night Live, you interviewed him was that a day in the park or not? That was really one for the books, Ken. Um, I'll give you a little background to that. It was a movie called Neighbors mm-hmm. that he made with Dan Aykroyd. Right. And this was <clears throat> the height of the Saturday Night Live uh, popularity. Terrible movie, by the way. Terrible movie. And I think it was 81, maybe? Something like that. Back- Larry Gilbart actually is credited as the writer, although none of his... <laughs> dialogue is left in there. I believe the director was John Abelson, who did Rocky. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, it was one of these press junkets in New York, and I was doing a lot of work for Columbia Pictures at that time. So I was back to basically do interviews with everyone. The studio had hired me to do interviews with everyone on this press junket. Okay, So there I am, and you know, waiting, and I see there's trouble. There's already the studio people are bantering. And you could tell that something was going on here. Bottom line was Belushi, who is very unpredictable, he and Aykroyd were going to do these interviews together, and they were late, like an hour and a half late. And to no press junkets, they run like a, like a train schedule. I mean, everything has to be to the minute. So they were getting very, very antsy. So they rush over to me, and they said, stay right here. And I, well, where am I supposed to go? What's the problem? <laughs> and it turns out that, that they felt that if Belushi showed up, he was just going to run away. And here they'd flown in, you know, 40, 50 press for him to do interviews. Right. Could I, I they need me to do a generic interview with him because he's going to, okay, fine, whatever you need. You know, they're paying me. It's fine. Right. So finally he and Akron show up like an hour and 45 minutes late. And who was the first person? That he was going to who was going to interview him at that point was Robin Leach. Oh yeah, lifestyles, lifestyles of, the of the rich and famous. That's right. Uh-huh. And Robin Leach, who was kind of in his own world even then, mm-hmm. you know. So they all right, Arlen, go in the room, big suite they had with cameras and everything. You go in the room and see how Belushi is, and then okay. So I go in, and there's Robin Leach, who's completely oblivious to everything. Belushi does not want to be there <laughs> under any circumstances. Uh-huh. Aykroyd is sitting next to him because they thought that if they had a two-shot, two of them, it would be better. Okay, so here's this interview, and Belushi is just sitting, glaring. 
Aykroyd is trying to be a trooper and give answers, and Belushi is just glaring and kind of muttering and growling or whatever. And the best thing of all, after this interview where Belushi has said very little, and this was just before Christmas, by the way, Leach leans in and he says, oh, John, John, what would be your best Christmas wish? And I thought, you know, this is not something, maybe on a daytime talk show you ask, you don't ask that question to John Belushi. And he looks at him and he says, I don't have any Christmas wishes. And that was the end of the interview. Belushi gets up and runs out of the room. So now, again, there's a panic from the studio people. Arlen, stay there, stay there, stay there. Half hour goes by, finally, they've talked to Belushi, come back and just do one interview with me. With you? With me. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now Belushi walks over and he's glaring at me in the hallway. And he says, is it you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll do the interview. All right, uh, I have to talk to you. So now we go into this big suite. No one else in the suite, just the two of us. What are you going to ask me? And I show him. Hey, Christmas wish. Hey, your, <laughs> your <laughs> Easter wish. That's right. <laughs> I, 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 I go in the room with him, and I've got the list of questions all about the movie, very generic questions. Right. And he looks at the thing, and he looks at me, and I'll never forget this, and he were very close. So we're standing very close to each other, and he looks at me, and he says, are you a friend or an enemy? And I thought, oh, this is the bit he's doing. Mm-hmm. No. And I kind of smiled, and he said, I asked you, are you a friend or an enemy? And now he's jabbing my chest with his finger. And I thought, mm, this guy is... I mean, I knew about his drug problems, but I thought, can we say paranoid? Mm-hmm. And I said, John, why would you think I'm your enemy? We're just here to do this. And, and this is... Are you sure? Is it, it? Yes. Okay, fine. I open up the door. The, the, the hallway's filled with people in New York, all leaning forward, like, is it okay? Is it all right? Fine. So we go, we sit down. I do this interview with him. And he was fine. The interview is maybe 12 minutes long. That's all. Mm-hmm. But he answered every question. Everything was fine. Uh, I was done. He said, is that it? I said, yeah, John, you saw the questions. Oh, great, great. Right? And then he left. Then he died. Then he left. <laughs> and everyone was very happy. But that moment, that moment when he said, are you a friend or an enemy? I thought, whoa. And uh, a couple months after that is when he OD'd. Hmm. So that was probably, uh, might have been his last interview. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Is there any celebrity that you interviewed that you thought, man, this guy can't put two sentences together? Mm, Okay, I'm not going to tell you the name. Okay. I'm not going to tell you the name, but I'll tell you the situation. It's the only time it's happened to me. Okay. And I've done a number of movies with him. And he's really a lovely person. He's really a lovely person, but for whatever reason, he has a very hard time talking about the project that he's actually doing. And when I do these behind-the-scenes things, it's very important to go on the location and talk to the actors about their character and the storyline and the co-stars and the location and all of this stuff. Well, I sat with him, I asked him the very first question, and I could see he was, he was vocally constipated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't coming out. And I, I thought, well, okay, well, we'll just move on. I asked him another same thing. So now we pause the tape, and I said, um, are you okay? And he said, yeah, but I'm just not good at uh, I said, I have an idea. How about 
if I tell you the question ahead of time and I tell you the answer that I want from you. <laughs> and like I say, I don't want to mention the name because he works all the time now and he's, and I really like this guy and I've done a number of interviews, right. but every time we did an interview, we did it this way. So what would happen is I'd ask him a question. I'd say, okay, now uh, such and such is, uh, th- I love this part because of this. And I'd give him the answer and then we would roll tape I'd do the, and then he'd give this back to me like an actor doing his lines. We'd stop, I'd do question number two, I'd give him the answer, and that's how we'd get through the interview. And you wouldn't know. He was an actor doing So you did it question by question. You didn't give him all of the answers at one time so that he could get them mixed up and say, so uh, are you enjoying this movie? Yes, Colorado. <laughs> no, I tried to. I tried to separate, make it easy for him. Make okay. it easy for him. But again, I, I have to withhold the name on that one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are there some celebrities that will just talk and talk and talk, and you're going, Jesus Christ, this is like a two and a half hour interview here, and I only need uh, fifteen seconds. Uh, we get it. Well, uh, and I've done a number of interviews with him, and I, I always found to be, again, a wonderful interview and, and, and very easy to deal with. Dustin Hoffman loves to talk, mm-hmm. and I first met him on Tootsie, and I swear, I think I asked the first question, and about 19 minutes later, I asked the second question. But it's, it's all good. I mean, he just likes to, to talk, which is, which is wonderful. It's a little long, but I mean... It's better to have that than people with their one or two word answers. So Dustin Hoffman, another guy involved in one of those sexual harassment claims. You worked with him on Tootsie. Mm -hmm. And from what I understand, again, this is just gossip. This is just great dish. But from what I understand, he was a holy terror on that movie. What's interesting about that, yes, that's true. He was, and I forget the director's name, who was a... Sidney Pollack. Sidney Pollack, yeah. who, who I had interviewed over the years. Great guy. Really just a wonderful person to deal with. And sadly, he had, I think, some form of cancer. Mm-hmm. And he's gone. But just a very gifted man and a very good actor, too. Yes, he was. Very good mm-hmm. actor. Yes, and I did a lot of work on Tootsie, and I heard horror stories and horror stories. When I dealt with Dustin, it was not on the set. And many times the horror stories you hear on a set are different than when they're away from the set, the movie's done, and you're just chatting with them like you and I are chatting. Right. Uh, but what was interesting to see Dustin over the years was the last thing I did with him was a movie called Runaway Jury, uh, which was with uh, uh, Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman, yeah. And doing research, I found out that Gene and Dustin had known each other for 50 years and had never worked together until this movie. Well. Wow. And in the movie, they only had one scene together. And I thought, oh, here's my angle. Because I spent six weeks in New Orleans working on that movie with them. So the studio, you know, I brought it up to them. And in most cases, the studio is unaware of things like this. But I got to New Orleans. I knew Dustin and I dealt with uh, Gene Hackman before. And I suggested this. And, oh, yeah, you see, you know, we, we, we know you. Yep, yeah. And I want to sit down to you into it. Yes. Hoffman was like 180 degrees from w- where he was uh, uh, on Tootsie. You mean he, he was a real nice guy? Yeah. Do you think up. he was a nice guy because 
of Gene Hackman? Well, I think that had something to do with it. I also think it's called mellowing uh-huh. because we're talking about 30 years ago uh-huh. and the intensity he had during Tootsie and how many films right. had he done between that period and Runaway Jury. Right. But and how many movies probably he wanted to do that uh, he didn't get because the words life's too short were attached to him. Yeah, you know, yes, yeah. yes, mm-hmm. yes. But again, a complete different Hoffman. And Hackman, and I had some wonderful, wonderful footage of the two Tell of Tell me that Gene Hackman was a great guy. He's my all-time favorite actor. Gene Hackman is a great yeah, guy. Yeah, okay, is. okay, but again, good. someone who does not, fool, uh, does not suffer fools easily. Okay. Um, the interesting thing I found, here's another little thing about interviews. Um, many times people who don't like to do interviews will sit and do it and you'll you'll see them during the course of the interview glance at their watch the subtle thing like uh, <laughs> hmm, you know the glance at the watch uh-huh and, which is okay. really embarrassing if it's a tv interview yes right yes you know but you'll see the little subtle look okay fine now hackman to his credit was uh, he had a bit of a cold the day we were going to do this interview i had already done the interview with Hoffman and Hackman together, and we did over an hour, and that was just wonderful. But I needed individual interviews, and and Hackman agreed, and and, and Dustin agreed. So now I'm sitting with Hackman, and he didn't have a lot of time, he said. Okay, well, we just, you know, fine. And you have to understand, when you're shooting a a television interview at at that time, you have a cassette, which runs about 30 minutes. So since I'm sitting next to the camera... I could usually hear a little click or a little sound, which told me I had a couple more minutes left on the cassette. So I would, rather than have something cut off in the middle of an answer, I would, you know, try to structure things so that we could get finished and get a full answer on, you know, on tape. Okay. So, well, sorry we weren't uh, able to get to French Connection or uh, The Unforgiven, <laughs> uh, but uh, great talking to you about uh, Superman. <laughs> and we found your favorite uh, foods and uh, favorite colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, um, and I thought, uh-oh, you know, he's just going to wrap this up now, and I still have more to do. So I, I said, well, let's pause now. And I said, Gene, I'm sorry, I have more to do, and I know your time is tight. No, 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 you just go ahead. This is great. I appreciate you took time to do the research on this thing. I had lines from the film that I pulled out that I wanted his explanation. So again, if I, if I was not prepared, uh, it, that would have been the end of the interview. But I, I think I did a full hour with him, and he was more than happy. Do, do you, when we got finished, do you, do you have everything you need? Couldn't have been nicer. So that's... Yeah, I know, you know, I have been interviewed a number of times when I've been on book tours. And I was interviewed by the NPR station in Seattle. And this was when I had my baseball book, It's Gone No Wait a Minute, available on Amazon for a penny. But um, so I'm being interviewed by this guy and he clearly knows nothing about me or the book. All he knew is that at the time, I was also a broadcaster for the Seattle Mariners. And so he goes, um, and you also do TV, right? I said, yeah. He says, after a pause, well, you know, Northern Exposure is done up here in Seattle. I said, yeah. Long pause. Do you like Northern Exposure? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, you could tell right away when someone is ill-prepared. 
All right, that's part one. Part two coming up next week when Arlen and I will talk about Robin Williams, Meryl Streep. She actually came to him for interviewing tips. Richard Pryor, Miss Piggy, who had her own makeup person. Also, Neil Simon, Patty Hearst, Buzz Aldrin, the astronaut who went to the moon, Quentin Tarantino, Carl Reiner, and a whole lot more. That's with Arlen Peters next week. By the way, Arlen is also available for speeches. He also goes on speaking tours and a very interesting guy. If you would like to get in touch with him, then you just go to Arlen P at roadrunner.com. That's Arlen P at roadrunner.com. Com. Our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to John Wolford, Howard Hoffman, and Randy Thomas. If you want to get in touch with me for any reason, HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. That's HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. And of course, you can always follow me on Twitter. That's part one. Part two coming up next week. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you then.